Life Off the Pendulum is the course of study for this fall semester in adult Bible class at Trinity Lutheran Church. In this study, Rev. Dr. Jim Von Bush will expose and explain what life on the pendulum looks like and the many struggles and heartaches we encounter because of it. He will also share what life off the pendulum can be, a life that trusts and rests in the abundant grace of God. Thank you for listening. Almighty God, our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your promises of love and grace that you are sovereign over all. And even as we consider the world around us, you continue to reveal yourself, your invisible attributes, your great power and love. And Father, in our personal lives, you continue to show us your grace and your mercy and how intimately involved in our lives you truly are. So Father, we ask for your blessing upon our time together this morning that you would continue to help us be aware and lead us into the truth that you have provided for us in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So life off the pendulum, this is week nine. And we're going to look at a couple of different pendulums today. I'm going to tell you right up front, they might poke at us a little bit. If you haven't been poked already with some of the pendulums we've been looking at, these might get a little personal. And so I'm just going to kind of give you that heads up as we enter into this topic today. Life on the pendulum, it's mine. So if you want to fill in the blank, it's mine. Kind of the ownership phrase. The two-year-old, mine, mine, mine. And we're talking about money. It's mine. It's my money. That's life on the pendulum, and that's what we're going to be looking at for a few moments here this morning. What does everyone want? I think what everyone wants is to have and to hold from this time forward their money. I think that's what we want. To have and to hold our money. I think from personal observation, from what I've seen uh, in others and what I've read in the scriptures, Christians really struggle with this. <coughs> Christians struggle with it. God's people struggle with the idea of money. Whose is it? What do we do with it? As Anita just pointed out, you know, sometimes when we're looking at the disappointment in our lives, it's good to remember by faith that God is still on the throne. And then all of a sudden we say, but not about my money. He's on the throne in other ways, but you can't tell me what to do with my money. It's mine. It's my money. And so we are a little bit, you know, I trust in God for my salvation, but I've earned everything else. God has given me salvation through Jesus Christ, but everything else I've got because I earned it, and it's mine. So does that make sense? Why Christians struggle with this one significantly? It's We bring our thought processes from brokenness on the pendulum into our walk and relationship with Jesus Christ. So we say, I trust him for my eternity, but I'll take care of things right now. And so we, we carry that thought process over. So if that's what we want, is to have and to hold our money, 
to say, God gives me salvation, but I earn everything else. How do we get that in this life? How do we go about getting that? I'm just asking you to ponder for a minute. I'm not really looking for questions or feedback at this moment. Just let that sink in for a minute. How do we go about getting that? You know, it's, uh, it's interesting that one of the things we don't talk about much is money. In the church, we don't talk about money a whole lot. And yet, and yet, it's one of the topics that Jesus talked about the most. If you were to read through the Gospels and just jot down, keep track of the things, the topics that Jesus talked about, he talked about money more than he talked about love. He talked about money more than he talked about heaven. He talked about money more than he talked about hell. He talked about money a lot. And yet, quite often, we don't talk about it much as Christians. It would be kind of a fun experiment, don't you think? I'm going to watch your facial expressions now, so everybody's going to get real stoic on me. Right? <laughs> It'd be a fun exercise if next Sunday we all brought in our bank statements, our credit card statements, our checking accounts, put them out on the table for everybody to see. Wouldn't that be fun? Hilarious. Hilarious. <laughs> Because once we take a look at your credit card statements, your bank accounts, your checking account, we can look at what's important to you. It'd be right there in black and white if that's the color pen you use or whatever. But it'd be for everyone to see because where we spend our money is where our treasure is. You heard something like that before? Jesus Christ says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. So it'd be, it, the reason we don't talk about money a lot one is because it's mine and none of your business. And two, because it's really vulnerable. It really opens us up to, have, to, show, to exposing and showing what's in our heart. And so if we look at what people spend their money on, we'll know what their treasure is. That's life on the pendulum. And so what does Jesus ask us to do? He says, store up your treasures in heaven. That's life off the pendulum. Very different. Very different. So let's uh, talk about money for a moment. As I said, it can be a very sensitive topic. It can sometimes be a very divisive topic because everybody has to deal with money in one way or another. I'm reminded of uh, the movie It's a Wonderful Life when Clarence the Angel shows up and you have uh, George Bailey there in dire straits because Uncle Billy has lost the $8,000 that was supposed to be deposited and the bank examiner is there, and if you're familiar with the story. And Clarence says, I'm here to help you. And what does it, George say? You got 8000 bucks? And Clarence says, well, we don't need money in heaven. What does George say? Well, it comes in really handy down here, bub. <laughs> I've seen the movie a couple of times. <laughs> Comes in real handy down here, bub, because we it is. I mean, it's just maybe that's one of the reasons Jesus used it so often to teach his lessons, because everybody was familiar with money and having to save it, spend it, give it, manage it. And so it really exposes what's in our heart. It exposes our mindsets to things. Even those teachers came to, you know, the scribes and Pharisees came to Jesus, and what did they try and test him with? We looked at this just a few weeks ago. You had the Pharisees and the Herodians. They wanted to catch Jesus in a trap. What did they say? Let's talk about money. Do we pay our taxes or don't we to the Roman government? 
And so Jesus exposes people's hearts when he talks about money. I quoted this already. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Paul went on to write this to Timothy. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. You know, that one gets misquoted all the time. Just like Satan did with Adam and Eve in the garden, did God really say, you can't eat from that tree? Let's doubt what he said. Let's change it just a little bit. Eve comes back with, no, we're not supposed to eat it. We're not even supposed to touch it. So it gets changed a little bit, and the meaning gets lost. Paul says to Timothy, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Right? Idolatry is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. That should devastate us right there. The love of money has led people away from faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You can't separate them. You can't say, I trust God for salvation, but everything else is about me. Have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Loving money, trusting money. Well, that sounds like first commandment kind of language. Fear, love, and trust God above all else. Have no other gods before me. Loving money, trusting money, or the fear of going without money can lead us into piercing ourselves with many griefs and wandering from the faith. So let's talk a little bit more about this pendulum of money. It's mine. And in the context today, we're going to, because there's so much, right? It's a pretty broad topic. Where do we go from there? The, I, what I'm going to talk about today specifically is giving, the giving of money. Not necessarily saving it, spending it, those kinds of things, but giving. So if we're on the pendulum, this is the either-or swing of the pendulum, we want to go with the left-hand side of that. It might be a practice of not giving. That would be a place on the pendulum. The practice of not giving. There's been some studies done over the years, and... You know, at one point in time, it seemed like the United States, the citizens of the United States, were probably some of the most philanthropic, giving people of the world. Well, what we discovered is, one, we had more to give than anybody else in the world. So it's a, it's a challenging comparison. And two is because for a while, our government incentivized giving. You got great tax breaks if you gave. And so it really wasn't necessarily a heart condition. It was, well, I can spare that. I don't need it. I've got a little extra in my pockets, and my government's going to reward me for it. So it's still a self-motivating benefit. So, not, and again, like I said, and when I talk about these pendulums, I'm choosing extremes to make it clear. There's anywhere in between that's still on the pendulum and still on the pendulum of brokenness. But the practice of not giving. Here are some things to consider then. Uh, 
why we would practice not giving it as I've already said it's my money I'll do what I ever I want with it it's my money nobody can tell me what to do with my money therefore I'm going to use my money for personal benefit personal benefit and if it's my money and I'm using it for personal benefit one of the reasons I'm not going to give is because I don't have enough to give I've already spent it all I don't have enough when I have enough money then I'll start giving if God blesses me with a raise then maybe I'll start giving if I win the lottery then I'll start giving if I if I have more money then I'll start giving but right now I just don't have enough what's that oh it's a lot of big ifs right because then when we do have more money do we start giving no it's still my money and I'm still gonna practice not giving because I'm using it for personal benefit therefore if we're saying it's my money I'm gonna use it for personal gain I'm gonna tell you I don't have enough to give I'm deceiving myself and the truth is not in me I am deceiving myself and the truth is not in me I think those are characteristics of a practice of not giving the other swing of this pendulum then is giving with conditions so like I said the pendulum is not necessarily all no not giving there are people who give and still live on the pendulum what does that look like it's giving with conditions it's still the same thought the same mindset it's my money but now I'm going to use this money for personal gain by controlling its use so I'll give it but I'm gonna tell you what to do with it I'm gonna tell you what you can spend it on so it's always this idea of strings attached that happens a lot it happens in families it happens in all kinds of relationships it certainly happens in in you know nonprofit organizations and the church as well I'm gonna give it but now I'm gonna tell you what to do with it or I want some kind of you know voice in this and I want to have some kind of control yeah we do that with memorials though not yes and no melody I mean if if memorials that's a great question great statement here's the way we would say it if the money is given you can say I'd like it to go to something like this okay. sure you know it would please my heart if it went to buy Bibles for all the kids in the church it would please my heart if it was used to upgrade the sound system so that people could benefit from hearing and things of that nature but not saying you have, you can only use exactly which leads us to the next line so again once it's given, it's up to the leadership of that, whether it's the church or any nonprofit organization, it's given with no strings. Sure, share your heart, what's important to you. But what happens is, if we're doing it to control it, then when it isn't, we stop. Withholding. Yep, we withhold it then. We stop because we got angry. I don't like what you're doing anymore, and so I'm gonna withhold that as my way of manipulating or passive-aggressive behavior so it's it's always got strings attached and I can pull it back if I don't like what you're doing with it 
And in fact, what happens then is giving with conditions, the last thought I have is that individual is holding others hostage. Because I'm not going to do something that might make them mad. They might stop giving. Does that make sense? So either end of this pendulum swing, you can see how devastating it is. It pierces a person's heart. I mean, think about the, what's happening in the person's heart that they would stop giving because they don't like what you're doing. They, they took their ball and went home. Yeah. What's in their heart? And I think that's what Paul is talking about when he writes to Timothy and says people are doing this because they have all this selfish motivation and they're seeking this. And it's, they've walked away from the faith. This is devastating for their own heart. And that should be our greatest concern. Yeah. I think conditions can go the other way. Mel just brought this up. The church can demand it of you to be in good standing. And then it's not giving up your heart either. Sure, absolutely. So kind of keeping a record of people's gifts. And if they aren't giving enough, we'll invoice them. We'll bill them. And if then we might even remove their good standing or excommunicate. Right? And we've seen that happen in other... Yes, absolutely, Arvid. Good point, Melanie. Uh-huh. Here's another one. that, that uh, Giving for self-importance, <clears throat> I give more than you. Oh, yeah, right? And we're not, you know, um, this will come up later. But Jesus even says that to the disciples as they're there during the final week of Christ's life before the crucifixion in the temple grounds, watching people walk by the treasury. And you got all these people putting in so that they can be noticed, Jesus says. They're doing it so they can be noticed. But what does Jesus notice? The widow who gave her might. Yeah, so excellent point, Mel. Yeah, so either end of the spectrum, it's really a heart condition that we ought to be really aware of and concerned about. Can, can I just add something with mm-hmm. that, too? And I, we'll probably cover this, I'm sure, but the giving, you know, Christ asks us for the first fruits. Mm-hmm. Um, the the knowing that this is coming into my house financial whatever I'm making on a monthly basis the very first of that will go to back to God mm-hmm. which is back to the church and I have faith that the church that Christ is running the church right absolutely so I don't need to I don't need to think about that and I know there's people that's like when when you give online and you don't think about what's going out, there, people go, well, I like to really think about, I mean, I've heard that example. I like to really think about what I'm giving. That isn't to say that I don't prayerfully think about giving to the church, but it should be a given, it's a, it should be an automatic thing. It's not an, oh, I forgot to throw something in the plate today, so I think I'll throw in a dollar. Mm-hmm. And, and and I'm not saying a dollar is a bad thing. I'm not, but but you're talking about the heart I'm condition about again. The heart condition that you know this belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have to still meet my my financial needs and live, but <clears throat> the first fruits of what I make goes right back to God. Is is what God is. I'm not saying I'm good at that. I'm just saying that is what God requires of us or asks of us. So you've brought up multiple things there, Anita. <laughs> <laughs> One is yes. Am I am I living a life of gratitude, truly truly understanding that everything I have, yeah, you jump to the end of the story, okay? <laughs> so truly believing that everything I have is because God has given me grace. Yeah. The, again, it's this disconnect. God's shown me grace for salvation, but everything else I've earned, it's mine, right? There's a disconnect there. 
But the believer has the freedom to say what Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount. Don't worry. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't you realize that your Father in Heaven knows you need these things? So are we going to, with gratitude and by faith, say, Jesus, you asked for the best, not my leftovers. You asked for first fruits, not what I have left banging around in my pockets, right? So do we honor God that way by saying, I trust you. I'm going to give you the best. It's you, you've given it to me anyway. And all you're asking for is a small portion in return. I mean, really, that's the mindset. God has given us everything we have, and he says, say thanks with a small portion. And trust me to provide for all the rest. And give me your best, not only in your money, but in everything. It changes a whole way of living, right? If I'm willing to say, God, I'm going to give you my first fruits from the bank account, I might also say, I'm going to give you my first fruits from my life as well. So it's a whole thought process that changes. But yeah, you took a stand. We can close now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Melody. I was going to say that when you give it your first fruits, God gives back to you not necessarily money, but your car doesn't break down. Your children don't get sick and have to go to the doctor. The harvest was really good this year. And so he gives back to you in other ways. And see, what you just pointed out for us, Melody, is we like to make this one-to-one correlation. So I gave God 10 bucks. Am I going to get 10 bucks back? Really what we're hoping for is I gave God 10 bucks. I hope he gives me 20. 20. <laughs> But that's that's not what God promises. And what he does promise is it's going to be non-correlated. You're not going to be able to say, I gave my offering this month. How does that come back to me this, you know, later on? He doesn't make that correlation for us. What he says is, trust me in all things. Yeah, yeah. The rain falls on the wicked and the righteous. The sun shines on the wicked and the righteous, right? We're all blessed. The, the thing is, as believers living off the pendulum, we recognize it as his gift. The, um, Fred and I were talking about this just this morning before Bible class. The unbeliever misses out on so very much. Sure, they see the sun. They enjoy the sunrise. They enjoy harvest, those kinds of things. They enjoy relationships and living in this world that God created, but they don't know who to thank for it. And they aren't living in relationship with the creator of all of it. And so they miss out on so much that the believer gets to enjoy the real joy and peace of that. Yes? I'm never going to get back to my handout, you realize. Okay. But uh, what uh, Melody said, uh, or Melody said, kind of springs, the word of jealousy just popped into my head because if you see somebody who's really doing well, they appear to have everything that they have. And it's pretty natural to be jealous of that instead of being happy for them. And I was, you know, I can remember a time when I look at somebody and say, why them and not me? And, you know, I'm not emaciated. I've always had a house, you know, over my, a roof over my head, uh, food to eat. Uh, so why am I jealous of somebody else for what they're doing well? Thank, thank God that they are. Yeah. Other than Mel, you just voiced the, the heart and words of many of the psalmists <laughs> who said, why do the wicked prosper? And God's people suffer. And there's not a real easy answer to that question. Other than you recognize in your own heart 
that we look around and say, it seems like the non-believer does better than the believer sometimes. Is that where our treasure is? Is that where our heart is? Because that's where theirs is. That's all they got. We have a treasure that lasts for eternity. I think we're blessed here with a beautiful setting, uh, buildings, you know, opportunities here that and were provided by people who could have gone out and buy, bought a new car. Mm. Instead, they uh, provided stuff for us here. Absolutely. They could have eaten better. They could have had better clothes. They could have had more status and pomp and fluff in the community. Leland, you make a great point, especially I can't help myself on this All Saints Day, recognizing that the ministries here today are because of faithful people before us. Is that that's your... Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So back to our pendulum just for a minute before we transition to off the pendulum. Either end of this pendulum swing, the practice of not giving or the giving with conditions, Paul said it for us, that is a life full of discontentment. Life on this pendulum, it's mine, it's my money, is a life of discontentment and ruled by selfishness. It's amazing how often that ego pops back up. Both. Yeah. It's anywhere on that pendulum. Yes, right. Now, the question before we start talking about life off the pendulum, I don't know if you're feeling it or not, but is it really that big of a deal? I mean, does God care? Does God care? Jesus said it's where your heart is. So I think he cares. But I'd like to read from Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. God is speaking to the prophet Malachi and says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. What is he saying there? The reason you haven't been wiped out is because I am faithful. Faithful to my promises. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have changed. You have turned away over and over and over again. You have turned away from my decrees and you have not kept them. So God says, return to me, repent, and I will return to you. But now God is going to carry on this conversation from their perspective. And he says, for the people, you will say, how are we to return? How will we do this? What will repentance look like? God says, will a mere mortal rob God? Will a, a little human being try to rob God Almighty? And yet, that's what you're doing. Who would have the audacity to try and steal from the Almighty God? They say, how are we robbing you? God's answer, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. God makes it very personal. You are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. That should, if you haven't had your ears prick up yet, we have been told repeatedly, do not test the Lord your God. Jesus says it to Satan, you're not to test the Lord your God. But this is the one time in Scripture God says, test me. 
See if I will be faithful. See if I will keep my promise. Test me. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Test me. See, we struggle to trust God. We struggle to live by faith in him. And so we say, but it's mine to have and to hold from this day forward. And I'm not going to let go of it. And God says, you're robbing me. So I think he cares. I think it matters to him. Because what does he want most? Your heart. He wants your heart. I'd like to read from Exodus chapter 35. So the context here is Moses has led the people out of Egypt. He's already gone up on Mount Sinai. He spent the 40 days up there getting the first set of tablets and the law. He's on his way down. And what are they doing? Worshiping a golden calf. Worshiping their money, their riches. And Moses breaks the commandments on the ground, ten, you know, breaks those two slates, ends up going back up on the mountain to get a new set, comes back down. This is where we're at. He's come with the instructions for building the tabernacle where God will reside right in the center of his people. And so this is, I mean, it's all happening in, in this context. And Moses said to the entire congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord contributions of gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine linen, uh, twined linen, goat's hair, um, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil fillet. It goes through and lists a whole bunch of things and says, bring them, make these contributions. You see, in Malachi, and I'm sure you've heard this before, but when God talks about a tithe, the understanding is it's a 10% of your increase. And you brought this up for us already, Anita. Whatever is your increase. So the person who says, I don't have enough, are they eating? Are they wearing clothes? Are they paying a mortgage? Are they putting gas in their car? Are they eating dinner out? They've had increase. And God says, give the tithe. Give 10% of your increase. Whatever that is. 10% of your increase. But then he also, in many situations, says, and here there are additional opportunities for you to give. And one of the things we've seen in the church over the years, and not this church, I just want to highlight that. Because we've done some different fundraising over the past couple of years. One thing that the church leadership is sometimes concerned about is if they do a special giving project, people will say, well, I give this tithe, now I'm just going to give it to that special project. And so, yeah, we make the special project, but now we have no money to keep the lights on, right? God says, bring the tithe consistently, intentionally, thoughtfully. Bring the tithe and give that as an act of gratitude for God's grace. And then there will also be other opportunities to give above and beyond. And so Moses says, here's what the Lord commands, to build this tabernacle and to have you all contribute to it. As you pointed out, Leland, people making sacrifices to contribute to the work of Christ in their community. Then the story continues 
That was in Exodus 35. In Exodus 36, starting in... Sorry, verse 5. And the, the craftsmen came and told Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, stop bringing money. That's what he says, right? He says, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people had to be restrained from giving. It's a heart, right? That's what we're talking about. Just a little while before, they had been worshiping a golden calf, but God works this transformation in their heart to now they want to give and give and give to the tabernacle, the work of the Lord. And Moses has to say, okay, we need to stop giving. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? So what is life off the pendulum? You already know where I'm going with this. It's generosity. It's a heart of generosity. What's the faith response? God loves, therefore God gives. Believing that wholeheartedly to our core, God loves, therefore he gives. And that is the root of generosity. John 3.16, for God so loved, he gave his only begotten son, could not give more. He could not give more. He loved. He loves. And so God gave his only begotten son. God is the first giver. He is the last giver. He is the most generous giver. And so the faith response clings to that truth that God loves, and therefore he gives. What does God love? He loves his church. Ephesians chapter 5, right? Husband and wife is the mysterious example, but he says Christ loved his church, gave his life for it. What else does he love? You. He loves us. And so... He gives to us. The second part of the faith response is the only reason I have is because God gave. This is a huge paradigm shift in thinking and believing. This is huge. We could say the first one, I, I believe that God loves and therefore he gives. I believe that. But to say the only reason I have is because God has given, that's, that's, a, that's a difficult one. That is a hard paradigm shift to change, to adopt the new one. Well, right, if he's going to give us life and he's going to give us eternal life, why do we think all of a sudden he gets stingy with everything else? That he won't give us everything else. Does he really love us as his children or doesn't he? Why were we born here? Yeah. Again, you're getting ahead of me. <laughs> Let me read from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 
Paul says, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. Always a heart concern. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. This is the Apostle Paul, and what he's saying is to the Corinthians, I'm going to put you up against the Thessalonians, is what he's doing, another church, and say, who gives more? Can you believe Paul's doing this? He says the Thessalonian church is giving out of their poverty. They are giving tremendously. Corinthian church, you're pretty well off. You're rich, and you're not giving anything. Paul is saying, I'm going... I'm just going to test the sincerity of your love, testing your heart. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. It's a mindset change. The only reason I have is because God gave. And the third part of the faith response is, if you know Jesus then you know it is impossible to be a stingy Christian. If you know Jesus, then you know it is impossible to be a stingy Christian. I have a question. Sure. Um, When you talk about about giving and the generosity, does it have to be to the church, or could it be to other organizations that are like Christian organizations, mission organizations, or... Great question, Melody. Or what about Salvation Army? Yeah. So here, I think, is the answer that the scriptures teach us. I'm going to share with you. The first fruits, what we might consider the tithe, goes to the church. Okay. Any additional giving, have at it. Okay. Be free. Okay, but don't make a choice of I'm going to give to this and instead of the church. church yeah okay. because that's not to necessarily giving it to Christ right right the first 10% goes to Christ at least right i mean that's the thought process there that's what Jesus is asking okay. for the first fruits within our <coughs> lutheran church i think there are organizations that pretty much cover most bases. Oh, sure. I mean, like Lutheran World Relief or Lutheran Our Ministries, or is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Essentially, then the second part is what is the biblical faith message that those other organizations project? Are they projecting a false teaching? Sure. So we want to be intentional about who we're giving to because yeah. what we're doing is we're saying we're joining with them. And supporting their message. Right. Yeah, so important important to be intentional. But I still think what I said is you are free to do that. You are free to explore and and where other, you know, other things might be dear to your heart. So you mentioned the Salvation Army. I mean, the work they do in meeting the needs of the poor, right? And those in need. So we could get behind that. Okay. Um, yeah, we could de- delve deeper into that. But I think to answer your question, Melody... It's the first goes straight to God through his church. And after that. But still we could support a local uh, flood relief, uh, fire relief deal that has no message. Absolutely. Just for the humanitarian. That's one of the ways we can join with other groups. 
when when we might not be able to join in other ways. Yeah. Can I just back up for a second here? And I'll make it really quick, I promise. When you were talking about the golden calf, the that is always the sub, that's always the story that people bring up about turning their back on God when he's blessed them. He's been blessing them. Mm -hmm. And then in 30 days, they've turned their back. Or, you know, 10 days, they start to think, oh, it's not working for us. What we don't, I, what I don't hear people talking about is that every single day, there's a golden calf in our life. Mm -hmm. Every single day, there's a reason to turn our back on God and say, well, it didn't go my way, or God's not really faithful, and so I'm not doing this or I'm not doing that. And I think it's real easy to point at those guys and say, well, they built a golden calf. Well, we build those golden calves in our lives on a daily basis. That's part of our sin nature. We don't always recognize it that way. No, that's part of the hope of this whole process of life on the pendulum, as some of you already attributed, is just kind of recognizing. Yeah, we might not be in a big group building it, but we're building it. Yes, yes. And what does Aaron say about the golden calf? Here, worship the God that brought you out of Egypt. Yeah. And that's the point, is every day we are going to wrestle with, and why we are encouraged to repent every day. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. It's all good. So I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. This is part of this idea of if you know Jesus, you know it's impossible to be stingy. Because, right, Jesus is not stingy. So if you know him, you know it's also impossible to be so diametrically opposed to who he is. So Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Follow God's example as his dearly loved children. And what is it? It's a heart issue. Walking in the way of love. And what does he say? If you know Jesus, you know he has loved you. If you know Jesus, you know he gave himself for you. If you know Jesus, you know he offered his life as an, an offering to God, a sacrifice to God, so that we are redeemed and reconciled to God. He became poor so that we are rich. And so if we know Jesus, then we know it's impossible to be a stingy Christian. Some faithful application of this faith then, the truth that we hold in tension, I think it starts with express gratitude for whatever and all that you have to give. Now I'm going to tread lightly here. Okay. It's, November is known as Thanksgiving month. And we're going to have Thanksgiving in just a few weeks and we're going to gather with family and friends and eat more than we ought to and have to loosen our belt for a day or two. And we're going to say maybe at some tables, everybody go around and tell everybody else something you're thankful for. Most of the time, it's thankful for something I have. Fair enough. But a faithful response is, I'm thankful for what I have to give. We kind of stop short. And I'm trying, that's why I say it's important to thank God for all we have. We just said all that we have is because God has given to, to us. So yes, that's where we start, but let's make sure we finish. 
And this is what we hold in tension. I'm thankful for all that God has given me to give. The reason I can give is because God has given to me. We hold those things in tension. So it's gratitude for what we have to give. The next part of the faithful application is we experience the joy of giving when we give enough to feel it. When we actually give enough to feel it. I've mentioned this already. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 21. And Jesus looked up. He saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. Just for context, the temple treasury was a big box, an ornate box that had many trumpet-looking things coming out of it. And so what you would do is you would put your offering into those trumpets. And everything was coins. No paper money, no writing checks, no tap your card. You know, it was coins. And so here they are. Jesus is watching people go by. Other, It's right there in the center of everything. And people are dumping their coins into these trumpets. It's like Las Vegas. As these coins travel down these cones into the treasury box. That's the context. So rich people putting their gifts in the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Probably couldn't have even heard them. Jesus says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All those people gave their gifts out of their wealth. They didn't even feel it. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. It takes us back to earlier conversation, right? Do we trust that God has given me all that I have to give? And if I give, he's still going to give me what I need to live on and give me enough to give. So give you, feel, you experience the joy when you actually give enough to feel it. Sometimes the question is this. How much do I have to give? Being in, as a pastor for these many years, I've fielded that question many times. Pastor, how much do I have to give? I think the other question would be, how much do I need to live on? How much do I need to live on? Then, that, what that means is, God has given me all I have to give. So it's a different mindset. How much do I have to live on? This widow put in everything that she had to live on. And then the third part of this faithful application. Christians give regardless of the outcome. You see how these all relate back to the pendulum, right? How that is directly took talking about giving with conditions. Stopping if I get angry or lose control or don't get my way. Holding others hostage. Christians give regardless of the outcome because it's faith in Christ. I'm not in charge of the outcomes. It's Christ's church. God's money. So I give without strings attached and I give regardless of the outcome. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 Remember this, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Well, that makes a whole lot of sense in our community, does it not? 
You know, you tell that to somebody in Chicago and they're like, I don't get it. But here it makes sense. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give whatever you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So the faith response is, we give regardless of the outcome. We are most like God when we give. I want to share something really quick. Uh, the church that we came from in uh, Bellingham had been uh, waiting to find out whether the uh, church that they're sharing with, with the Lutheran church, uh, they could buy the church. And they raised about 300000 or more, lots of, lots of money. And uh, now they came down with the final uh, say from the Lutheran church as to who they were going to sell it to. They chose not to sell it to them. Hmm. And so I love the idea that the message was Give without, give without the outcome. The outcome. Regardless of the outcome, we give. Yeah, thank you very much. What was the reference? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 8. And as Paul emphasizes again here, it's motivated by love. Giving is motivated by love. Specifically, love for God. That's what giving for the believer is motivated by, is love for God and love for what he loves. Sounds like the first two commandments, right? Mm -hmm. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. We give regardless of outcomes because we are most like God when we give, and it's motivated by love for God, love for others. We're out of time. So next week, we'll look at the backside of this page. Father in heaven, thank you for blessing us so very abundantly. It is so easy for us to slip into a mindset of poverty, and yet you tell us we are rich. Father, help us to live as your dearly loved children with wealth beyond measure and in eternity. In, in you with you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.